Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby, the Hall of Famer, episode 58 here on the podcast. And today, I want to welcome in Assistant Commissioner of the Big Ten, uh, Carrie Kenny, joins us from the, uh, I believe, the New York office. Carrie, you in, are you in New York this morning? Yeah, that's correct, Elliot. Good to be with you uh, here this morning, you and Larry. Um, sitting 36 floors above uh, the Midtown Manhattan skyline uh, with a, a view of a Central Park to the north and the East River out to the east. So it's a beautiful day here in New York, and I really appreciate coming on this morning and, and being able to chat with you guys. Wow. that Now, that's I think that's something right there that a lot of, uh, a lot of people don't realize is that obviously the Big Ten headquartered in, um, in Chicago – but a um, another office in New York, and uh, that was something that uh, really kind of came about when we expanded and brought in um, some of our uh, institutions to the east with Maryland and, and Rutgers, and um, uh, that's got to be uh, got to be pretty cool to, to go to work every day uh, in a location like that. So I want to appreciate uh, we appreciate you taking time and. Um, Kerry, before we uh, before we um, kind of dive into some things here, your title, Assistant Commissioner, Public Affairs. So, talk about some of the things that kind of fall under your umbrella day to day with the Big Ten. Absolutely, I I kind of have three different main areas, uh, you know, that that I deal with. Uh, sometimes day to day, sometimes week to week, and sometimes it, it just kind of ebbs and flows throughout the year. Uh, the first one you, you hit it on in the title. Um, public affairs, um, you know, we've got a, a three-person staff at our office that, that deals more on the, the strategic communication side of things and, and the, you know, the public affairs side as opposed to the traditional sports information uh, side, which we have our, our communication staff that handles those duties. But on the, the public affairs side, it's, it's a lot of, you know, dealing with national and local media, um, you know, working with our staff and specifically Commissioner Delaney and our our deputy commissioner uh, for public affairs, Diane Dietz, to, you know, uh, talk through a lot of the, the different messaging and branding campaigns that we have at the conference, um, you know, work with our schools to, um, you know, determine kind of what's the news of the day uh, that, that's going on in college athletics, tracking on a lot of those issues. Um, some of them on the court, obviously, as we get close to the first week of football season here, um, you know, results and, and game outcomes uh, start to become, you know, the, the top of the top of the fold type of news across the country. But we're obviously tracking on a lot of the off off the field issues as well. Um, you know, and that can, can run the gamut from, you know, tracking what's going on from a legal sense. Um, you know, obviously something like sports betting has has popped up uh, in earnest here over the, the last year based on the Supreme Court ruling. Um, you know, and just any other types of uh, national or local issues that, that may impact our schools or, um, you know, our coaches or our students. So uh, that, that's been an area probably the last three or four years, uh, you know, have, have really been involved in that. Prior to that, I had been uh, on the rules compliance side of things. Uh, so uh, similar to you, Elliot, started off in, in kind of one area and, and have transitioned into another during my career at the Big Ten. Um, you know, but on the the reason that we're chatting here today, um, you know, manage the day-to-day of our, our men's and women's basketball television and scheduling processes. And we have a four-person team at the Big Ten, uh, you know, that we term our TV administration team that works with all of our schools and all of our network partners across all sports. So, you know, as I mentioned, I, I deal with men's and women's basketball. Uh, a gentleman named Mike McComiskey uh, oversees the day-to-day of football. 
uh, Wendy Fallon and her sports administration staff uh, oversee the, the Olympic sports scheduling process, which is, uh, you know, a very robust process of over uh, 1,500 events uh, with mm-hmm. ETN and, and ESPN and Fox. Um, and then Mark Rudner, uh, who's been at the Big Ten for, for over 40 years, he, he's kind of the, the overseer of all of our TV functions. Um, and, and so he, he kind of coaches us up and, and uh, you know, assists us with all of our, our day-to-day responsibilities. And then my third bucket, it, it's, you know, something that, that really has, has caught uh, a lot of uh, public interest over the last few years, but uh, that, that's our health and safety area. And so I liaise with our sports medicine staffs on campus. Um, you know, uh, back in 2012, uh, was the co-founder and, and now serves as the co-director of our 22 institution research collaboration with the Ivy League to study concussions in sports. Um, and, and so that's something that, you know, periodically throughout the year deal with a lot of researchers on campus and clinicians on campus to, to figure out ways to, to try and address that issue and, and make the sports that are, you know, 18 to 22 year old young men and women are playing on campus the safest possible activity that it can be, uh, you know, for the current and future generations. So uh, that's about the, the most succinct that I could be with the responsibilities. My favorite ones, you know, tend to be the, the other duties as assigned, you yeah. know, the, the special projects that you get pulled into. And, yeah. um, you know, those could run the gamut from uh, <laughs> from one side of the, the coin to the other where, where there's not really any continuity to them. But, but sometimes that, that places you, you know, with people and, and projects that you really enjoy doing. Well, not to uh, not to um, knock your other duties, but the one that we are excited about, and the one that I think um, I think a lot of people who are listening to this are going to be um, really hear some things that maybe they didn't realize before, and that's the whole process of coming up with the Big Ten schedule. Um, it's it's a really a fascinating process, um, as you mentioned. You you kind of are the liaison and the and help with the partnership with the Big Ten and all their media partners. And for our fans, um, you know, we've listening. They know this based on just the fact that they watch our games all the time. Um, we are on a variety of channels, and especially in the last couple of years with the addition of Fox. Um, you know, you can catch Purdue basketball on obviously the Big Ten Network, which has now been around a decade plus. Um, CBS, which that partnership is is uh, a very has been a very lengthy one and uh, continues to feature the the Sunday games on CBS. Um, obviously, ESPN is involved, um, and our windows, I believe, will stay uh, Tuesday and Thursday nights, and then some weekend games. And then, as I mentioned, Fox coming on board uh, within the last couple of years. And, you know, one of those features was the, is the Friday night games, uh, which we have, have had a couple of those over the last few years. So all that being said, it creates a um, seven-day-a-week jigsaw puzzle. And basically, you're tasked with uh, kind of laying out that conference schedule. Um, I mean, I can't even imagine how this all starts, but... Give us a little idea at what point. So the reason I and mean, the other reason we wanted to talk about this is it's very timely. Um, as we tape this podcast, our, our Big Ten schedule was announced just uh, within the last week. Um, and we we're in the, the point of the scheduling process where we're now waiting on times. And I know that that's probably something you're busy with now is working with TV on different times and things like that and what station the different games are going to air. So as you back up, at what point does this conference schedule start? Like, what when does the process start when you start looking at the months and laying out all these things? No, that, that that's as 
as well stated the description of, of kind of the global, you know, overview of what we do on the, the men's and women's basketball scheduling side, Elliot, as anyone could have given. So I appreciate you, you setting the table with that. And just to remark on, on the four networks, uh, you know, that you mentioned, BTN, CBS, ESPN, and Fox, you know, with those four broadcast partners, we set out to make sure that Big Ten men's basketball will have more media partners promoting the sport than any other conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a true statement. And to have, you know, the legacy partners uh, like CBS, like ESPN, you know, Fox is a, a new, um, you know, agreement that this will be the third year of, of that agreement on the basketball side. And then BTN, um, you know, which just has really <clears throat> grown and, and exceeded all expectations, uh, you know, for Big Ten fans. I know you guys had Dave Revson on prior to last year's basketball season, and, and he really gave the backstory of, of BTN. But, yeah. you know, I, I think if you're a Big Ten fan and, and you're not tuning into BTN, uh, you know, throughout the year, 365 days a year, uh, to get your content, then, then there's no better place to get that content. And, and I know the folks there and, and the folks in our office are very proud of that. Um, you know, in, in terms of the, the CBS and the Fox component, too, um, having those two over-the-air broadcast networks in, in CBS and, and Fox broadcast, you know, the, the reach uh, of those games when they're on, uh, you know, the, the regular season games and then the three games in the Big Ten tournament on CBS, the, the two semifinals in the championship, that, that's really unparalleled across the country. And so we're, we're very proud of that. We've got, you know, great people working at those networks that help to promote the conference, you know, whether it's the talent, um, you know, the production staffs and, and all other people that are involved with it. Um, so we've been really pleased with how the first two years of, of these new agreements have gone. And, and we only expect, you know, the, the collaboration uh, and the promotional value to, to continue to, to grow uh, as we enter year three here. But in terms of the, the calendar and how that lays out, you know, you mentioned that we're in the kind of the, the last, call it the, the bottom of the ninth, uh, you know, in terms of, of making the 1920 schedule complete. Um, but we actually started in earnest back in February. Really? Um, February? Your schedule again. Wow. I would never have February. guessed February. That is crazy. Yeah. So we, we've got, you know, the, the nice part about working in, in the television and scheduling side of things is, is a lot of, what we do is set out through our contractual agreements with our partners. And so one of the things that set out in that are, are kind of timelines where by certain dates we have to have certain aspects of the schedule completed and and delivered. And so February 1st, it it starts off by, you know, that's the date we have to send the network partners, what our, we call them our single and double play rotations are going to be for the upcoming year. So in in Purdue's case, who is Purdue going to play, at home and away, who are they going to play only at home and who are they only going to play on the road? Um, and so we send that information to our, our network partners. We start to sketch out with them, you know, not necessarily a, uh, you know, a poll of, of ranked one through 14, you know, what teams we expect to finish in what order, but we start to sketch out, you know, what the attrition on paper looks like it's going to be seniors, you know, who it looks like maybe heading toward the NBA draft. Um, you know, transfers, obviously we're still in the middle of the season, so we don't have that information yet, but, but we're trying to sketch out for our, our media partners, what next year is going to look like, because, you know, they spend, and I think this is something for the fans, 
you know, whether it's football, whether it's men's or women's basketball, whether it's Olympic sports, the amount of time and research that our network partners spend on their properties that they own, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the conferences that they, they partner with or the, the professional leagues, the, the amount of data that they pour through in order to make the decisions when it comes down to the selection process, um, you know, is really incredible. And so it's not just something where, you know, somebody's sitting in a room and they're a big Purdue fan or they're a big Michigan fan and they're just, you know, trying to get as many games as possible involving those teams. Um, they're really trying to make educated, data-driven decisions, um, you know, that, that's going to put their network in the best position to, to have the most viewers for that game. Well, And, and I, that really inures to our benefit. Yeah, I think – and I, I mean, I think, um, you know, they're interested in the best ratings, obviously. You know, it, they're – they want to put on a game that's going to be able to generate ad revenue for them. And I, you know, they, I would think they do all that research and there's two sides of it. Like you, you pick a two teams that you think, boy, these guys are going to be Titans this year. And then, you know, you slot them in, in a February game and you're like, Oh, this is going to be great. What a matchup. And then like something happens where, you know, a guy gets hurt or that team underperforms and all of a sudden you go from having what looked like a great matchup in November to just kind of being a clunker. And on the flip side of it, I can remember times when we've played games where it'll be a, we, we might be a surprise one year. I remember one year we went, it was uh, Hummel and Juwan Johnson and, and Etwan Moore, those guys, it was their uh, freshman year. We ended up, I think we were eight and one or eight and oh in the start of the league. And Wisconsin was eight and one. And we played in Madison on a Saturday night. It was a nine o'clock tip on on Big Ten Network, and that was the first year of the network. And everybody thought, "How did BTN get this game?" And it was one of those. At the beginning of the year, people didn't think Purdue was going to be worth you know very much at all, and uh, we surprised everybody. And they ended up having probably the best game of the year on BTN. It just kind of one of those things that slipped through. But I can imagine that's a that's a quite a process for those guys to have to try to figure that out. Absolutely, and and I think the interesting part too is that they're not it, BTN. Obviously, is, is strictly B, is Big Ten uh, in terms of uh, what content they're putting on the air. But you know, for all these other networks that we deal with, CBS, ESPN, and Fox, there are multiple conferences on the basketball side that that they're scheduling. Right. And so a lot of a lot of it comes down to what, what's the available windows, and you know, CBS. You know, we have to deal with NFL playoffs for our first two CBS weekends every year. You know, won the wild card, won the divisional. There's benefits to that because of the promotional value of a Big Ten basketball game being played either before or after, you know, one of the most watched events on the sports calendar. Yeah. Um, but there's also some logistical issues to that with the, you know, having to have an either or start time up until six days before the game because obviously CBS doesn't know what time slot their NFL playoff game is going to be in. Right. So there's a lot of, you know, that that's where if everything was equal and, and everybody, you know, from a network side or, or a conference side got to schedule games where they exactly wanted them to, um, you know, th- this process wouldn't be as, you know, a big of a puzzle to put together. But because there's all these external factors that, you know, are outside of even the Big Ten's control or the Big Ten schools control, um, you know, it, it's something where the, the timeline gets a little bit more extended and, and those decisions, uh, you know, become a little bit more uh, important because of the fact that we have limited opportunities to, to find those windows to put our best games in. Um, I think after February, and we, and we have those conversations, the next big date on the calendar is, is April 1st. 
And that's a date where we have to provide our network partners with what we call our facility blackout list. Um, we have 14 unbelievable first-class venues across the Big Ten. Uh, Mackey Arena certainly, uh, you know, falls into that category in, in many ways. And one of the benefits of, of our facilities is that they're so first class that other people want to use them. Right. Um, so at, at certain schools, you have concerts. At certain schools, you have, you know, it could be a shared facility with, with wrestling. It could be a shared facility with uh, men's or women's gymnastics. At some, it's, you know, high school state championships, um, you know, become a major component of the calendar for that year. Um, so we have to collect all that information from our schools. What are the dates where we cannot schedule either a men's or a women's basketball game in your facility? There's some dates where, you know, for example, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Minnesota, because of the hockey component, yep. there are days where we can schedule a basketball game, but it has to be no later than a certain time so that they have enough time, um, you know, to change over the venue to be able to put the ice down for a hockey game that night. Or in Minnesota's case, you know, a lot of it comes down to logistics with parking and, and security and staffing. And so, you know, making sure we don't put them in a disadvantageous position to host two events on the same day. And so we're collecting all that information. We send that to our network partners so that they know as they begin to, to look at their master calendar, we can't ever schedule a Big Ten game on this date, men's or women's. Um, and when we're, you know, on the men's side, we're dealing with 140 conference games. On the women's side, we're dealing with 126 conference games. So you can imagine trying to fit 266 games into 14 venues, uh, you know, basically from January 1st through the, the second weekend in March. It, it starts to become a, a puzzle that has, you know, a, a limit on the number of, of possible outcomes that you can find, um, which is fun, uh, but, you know, certainly leads to, to some of those <laughs> sleepless nights as, as you're trying to get down to the wire to, to put the schedule together. Um, you know, and this is all, all the stuff that we've talked through so far, Elliot, that, that's all specific to the conference schedule. Yeah. Right. Um, but once we start getting into May, we've got some non-conference things to deal with. And those are the two challenges. Uh, the Gavit tip-off games, which is entering its fifth year uh, this season. And, and Purdue obviously will, will play uh, at Marquette in that uh, on Wednesday, uh, November 13th, I believe is the date. Yeah. Um, and then on the ACC Big Ten Challenge side with ESPN, um, you know, obviously a, a major rematch for Purdue at home in Mackey uh, on Wednesday, December 4th and that. But the, the challenges are important, um, you know, because I think there's, there's a different way of addressing each of them. Uh, a different process for coming up with the matchups and, and determining what the dates are going to be. Um, on the Gavit tip-off game side, we work directly with the Big East Conference office. Um, oddly enough, their office is uh, only 10 blocks south of ours here in, in New York City, so uh, a lot of times we'll play a home-and-home and, home and, and yeah. travel down to their office, so they'll come up here to, to actually sit down at a conference table and, and start to map that stuff out. Um, but we... We deal with all the facility issues. Obviously, there's existing non-conference games in that week for for schools. You know, for example, you guys have Texas at home on, on Saturday, November 9th. Right. And so we, we don't want to ever put a team in a position where they have to turn around and play in a challenge that's been created by the conferences, you know, on short rest coming off of a, a non-conference game like that. So th those are factors that go into it. And so we, we figure out 
uh, between the two offices, who who are going to be the home and away teams, and then we actually match teams up based on you know potential interest of the game, um, you know potential interesting matchups, um, you know, and then we work with uh, Fox, uh, who owns the the rights to the Gavit Tipoff games, you know, to try and figure out the best dates to slot those games in from a television viewership perspective as well, um, and then BTN. Uh, depending on, on what the exact schedule looks like, BTN has picked up a couple of those games in the past, wanted to add a Big Ten institution um, just to, to help in their partnership with Fox balance out the week and, and what the schedule looks like. Um, so this year's Gavit Games, we're really excited about the matchups. Obviously, like we said, uh, Purdue at Marquette, you know, uh, two perennial top 25 teams, um, you know, on the Marquette side, Marcus Howard, a, a player of the year candidate, and, and Purdue with, with as, as deep and balanced a rotation as you'll find in the Big Ten. And then, you know, a, a lot of people targeting that, uh, you know, kind of national player of the year matchup with, with Cassius Winston and, and Michigan State on Thursday, playing at Miles Powell and Powell and Seton Hall on on, uh, on Thursday. So, um, you know, really great matchups there. And, and the Gavit games, you know, along with the ACC Challenge, you know, and, the, and this is where Commissioner Delaney in, in his 30-year tenure has really, you know, tried to be innovative and think outside the box. Um, was really meant to be a way to cut through the early clutter of, you know, of, of trying to schedule basketball, important basketball games during the college football season. Right. Um, and so the Gavit tip-off games, it's in that first full week of the season, and, and really create some of these matchups, and importantly, home-and-home matchups, not neutral site matchups that you wouldn't otherwise get, um, you know, but for the challenge being created. Yeah. So then on the, the the ACC challenge side, Elliot, just quickly on that, um, you know, that that's obviously been something that's been around for two decades, some memorable matchups in that. Um, you know, I can remember back in 09 uh, when Alfred Amino was at Wake Forest and, and Wake Forest came to Purdue and, uh, you know, you guys had a pretty good night against them yeah. uh, in the ACC challenge that year. Um, you know, so I, I think the, the ACC challenge is just something that all college basketball fans, it resonates with them, whether you're a Big Ten fan or an ACC fan. But that challenge is a little bit different in how it's set up because ESPN actually owns the rights to those games and contractually they're able to set the matchups and set the dates, um, you know, based on, on what they deem appropriate for their network. Um, my role and my counterpart at the ACC, we provide a, a whole lot of um, you know, information and, and advice throughout that scheduling process. And, and most times we're aligned with where ESPN is and where the ACC is in terms of the matchups. Um, you know, for example, this year, obviously two unbelievable Elite Eight rematches, um, you know, both at Big Ten venues at, at Breslin with Duke Michigan State and then in Mackey with Virginia Purdue. Um, and then just some really great games across the three days of that event. Um, you know, I think fans, you know, they, they really enjoy the fact that you can, you know, kind of get into that, you know, bragging about my conference is better than your conference. But at the end of the day, we just want to place our teams in positions to have, you know, games that they have an opportunity to win against a quality opponent and in a quality venue, um, which the ACC and the Big Ten obviously have some of the best in college basketball. So, yeah. um, you know, that, that's just a little bit of a, an anecdote that I think fans sometimes – you know, don't realize of how those two challenges are put together, um, but obviously it, it leads to some great non-conference games. Um, you know, before conference play starts. Well, the ACC challenge has been around forever. I mean, Larry, did you 
I mean, you called you you were calling the first ones. I mean, did you ever when this thing first started? Um, you know, what was what was your thoughts, and did you think it would still be around this much? You know, this this long? No, I don't think so. I think I think uh, almost anything that we do, Big Ten wise or just college basketball wise, I think we always underestimate the power of uh, of the media and uh it, it's so strong it's unbelievable and you know we saw that last year in the uh final two games that we played in the tournament and you know the virginia purdue game and prior to that the tennessee uh purdue game were two of the best games played in the entire uh yeah. tournament yeah and uh and and they were exciting and they they caused so much excitement in fan bases and furthermore than that caused a lot of excitement outside our fan base and let people know that uh, Purdue's a pretty good basketball team and a pretty good program and has been for years and years a lot of times people don't realize that because you got Duke you got Michigan State uh, you got Ohio State and you know we get lost sometimes but I'll tell you last year that was incredible, just absolutely incredible. Yeah, and I think it was great to uh, – I mean, our fans are chomping at the bit for the Virginia game this year, so I think um, it, it was something that really – they capitalized on the momentum of that game last year, and uh, it's certainly going to be one of the highlights of the uh, of the non-conference schedule. Be- before we proceed, Larry, everything good with the dog down there? Carrie was very <laughs> – Carrie was, was very poised to talk through your lovely dog down there in Florida. Well, we have a we have a uh, a little half poodle and uh, <laughs> uh, and she is um, not little. She's 35 40 pounds. Yeah, I've, I've met her. I, I when she started barking, I thought, "Oh, we're testing Carrie right right out of the gates we, here. He's got to we got we got a great uh She's good though. I mean, she doesn't uh, carry on too much, and she's but ob- she, she's obviously a fan of the podcast, so that's that's good. Yeah, she's barking <laughs> on the podcast. Absolutely. All right. Um, well, moving on, Carrie. So I we we kind of talk about the non conference, and one of the things that I think our fans would be interested in with the non conference schedule is oftentimes like. I always get asked, like, well, how do we play Texas? Like, how did that game come about? And I always try to explain to them that, you know, with the things that we're locked into, like the Gavit games. So, like, if we look at this year, for example, we know we're going to play in the Gavit games. We know we're going to play in the ACC Challenge. Purdue obviously plays in the Crossroads Classic every year in Indianapolis. We're playing Butler this year. So, like, those are three games that right out of the gate, you know, are set for us, um, so to speak, in terms of their dates. And this, in the in the case of the Texas game, obviously we went there in 2018-19, and uh, Texas coming in this year. And so now one of the things I have to do in my role is find a date for that. But a lot of times I'll reach out to you um, to for on a couple fronts to basically say like, hey, what would be a good date? And a lot of times it may not matter because Texas and us may only have one date that really works on both of our schedules. But sometimes I'll reach out to you guys and say, hey, what date would be most advantageous for TV? And I've also reached out to you quite a bit to e- to even kind of 
let me know of other teams around the country who are looking for non-conference games so that maybe we can make something like that happen. How how prevalent is that and how much do you how many inquiries like that do you get from other teams around the league? It's a great question, Elliot, and it's something that we've really tried to to increase our involvement with here at the conference office over the past few years. Um, just because, like you said, that the scarcity of of dates on the calendar in some years, um, you know, the the fact that you know, for example, like you said, this year you've got you know your Gavit Games, the ACC Challenge, you've got your MTE with with a loaded field, mm-hmm. um, you know, where you you already know two of those games who you're going to be playing at least you know the the pool of teams, um, and then sometimes as you mentioned with Texas, there, there could be the, the start of or the return game of a home and home. Um, and, and just as an aside, I grew up in the Northeast Philadelphia area, you know, really yeah. loving college basketball, played college basketball at Lafayette college. Um, there is nothing better than a home and home game, uh, on the non-conference side of things. And, and don't get me wrong, the, the MTEs, you know, because of the, the, the teams that they bring together, and the experience that it gives the students to travel to some of these destinations and the first class experience they put on, that that's been a, a huge benefit to the game. Um, but just that the sense and the energy you get from that home crowd on the non-conference side with sometimes an unfamiliar opponent that you may, you know, you may not see Texas and Mackey, uh, you know, again, for a, a while, just based on, you know, the fact that you're in two different regions of the country, Right. you know, th- those are games that, that we really try and, and help, you know, assist our schools with, with contracting. Um, a lot of times we'll work with our TV partners to say, hey, you know, of the, the other conferences that you deal with, what, what are you hearing? You know, who's got games and who's got dates that are available in future years? Sometimes, you know, we'll be talking, it's, you know, August of 2019, we'll be talking about games in the 21-22 season. Right. Um, you know, because games are, as, as teams are, are starting to schedule up, you know, and, and really play a robust non-conference schedule to help on the metric side with the, the quadrant one and quadrant two games, uh, you know, for NCAA tournament selection and seeding, that's become really important. And I think on the Big Ten side, you know, our, our coaches have really grasped that and, and put their arms around it. And, and last year you saw that play out really well where we scheduled a lot more of those high-profile non-conference games we won a lot more of those games. We won a lot more of those neutral site MTE games and challenge games. And, and that really set the narrative for the conference throughout the entire season last year and, and, and benefited us on Selection Sunday where we had the most ever teams selected in Big Ten history. Um, and, and so, you know, our coaches have – they've looked through all the data. They've, you know, they've heard from Kevin Palga who, who operates the KPI and, and is a – a scheduling wizard and and really you know does a lot of that kind of due diligence uh in showing how certain non-conference teams impact seating and selection and our coaches deserve a lot of the credit because obviously you know with 20 conference games with the the one or two challenge games depending on the year and then other games we've asked a lot of them um and without their support we couldn't do any of that and so nat and his colleagues you know, we've got some of the best coaches top to bottom in the league in terms of X's and O's, but also just in terms of understanding the bigger picture. And, and so a lot of the credit goes to them and, and to the athletic directors for, for being supportive of these initiatives. But but you're right, non-conference scheduling has become, you know, just as, as aggressive as, as 
uh, conference scheduling has just because people want to play, but a lot of times it's the dates that don't line up or, or right. the, you know, the fact that they're going to be in an MTE that week and they can't do anything else. And, um, you know, hopefully we see a little bit more relief in that in, in years ahead and, and teams willing to play more home and home uh, games against high major opponents. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a process that goes on throughout the year. And then even during the season, you know, just because the season, uh, you know, you, you all on campus are focused on winning games and, and preparing and, um, you know, helping out your students and, and the other coaches, but you're still having to, as a scheduler, look forward to future years um, because scheduling never sleeps. And, and so, you know, we're, we're constantly in contact throughout the year. And, and I think that's, you know, been beneficial to all of our programs that, that we do a little bit more of that in a coordinated fashion. And, um, you know, hopefully it leads to some great games that our fans want to see our, our students want to play in um, and, and our coaches really want to coach well I think I, and I I think on a couple fronts with the non-conference schedule is it's a, it's such a huge determining factor like we play a game in November and I don't think people I don't think uh, instinctively people realize how important that stuff those games are all that and they affect what happens in March I mean if the Big Ten ends up this year in the ACC challenge let's say the Big Ten goes you know 10 and 6 in the chart I mean 10 and 4 in the challenge or whatever it might be um, that's a huge deal because now the media narrative is set that okay the Big Ten's better than the ACC now whether that's true or not sometimes is irrelevant because the talking point is the Big Ten won the challenge and they don't necessarily break down every matchup and say, well, they just had more favorable matchups. It's just that, hey, the Big Ten's really good this year. And it's amazing. I, I'm always amazed at how at the lack of original thinking in, in television. This is not the knock even on television. But it seems like when one or two guys run with a phrase or an idea, everybody else catches that and runs with it too. And if, if, if the notion out there is that the Big Ten's better than the ACC because they win the challenge – there's very few people that don't go with the flow with that. And so all of a sudden you create this narrative throughout November and December that the Big Ten's really good. And we may have won the challenge by one game. Um, but what happens is, is that the people who sit on that committee, uh, the NCAA selection committee in March, um, you can say what you want, but that stuff matters. And they can, and, it, and if that ends up getting us an extra team or two in the tournament in March, uh, it certainly makes those games in November pretty important, in, in, in my opinion. Um, but, but, I, but back to your point about you know, the importance of seeing those marquee names uh, play each other, that's what the fans want at the end of the day. Um, we all know that we have to play a certain amount of games at home and that you know, it's part of the, the economics behind it. But... Um, when when a Texas walks into Mackey or Virginia walks into Mackey this year, that's a that's a good thing for everybody. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the coaches because one of my next questions was as you put this conference schedule together, there's a variety of different parameters that are like no nos. Like you can't have, you know, you're not going to give anybody four straight home games or three straight road games, that kind of thing. Um, there's a balancing act that goes on. Um, and, and talk about some of those, I mean, without going into detail on each one of them, talk about some of the parameters that, you know, you have on the conference schedule. And a lot of them are kind of coach driven, are they not? Yes, it, it, it's a good point, Elliot. Um, you know, the coaches, obviously, we, they meet once a year uh, in person in May. Um, but 
whether it's me or, or Rick Boyages, um, you know, who, who works with the coaches throughout the year as their liaison, we're in constant feedback loops with them, just trying to refine and, and make the schedule as, as best it can be year over year so that we're not, you know, putting teams in the same situation, you know, from one year to the next. Um, we're, we're being receptive to that feedback to the extent that we can. Um, you know, but as we're putting the conference schedule together, we've, I kind of call it the two buckets that, that we deal with. The one are the requirements and the one are the, the, the things that are advisory to the process. So on the required side, that's the, the contractual obligations to our TV partners, um, you know, whether it's number of games, uh, whether it's uh, dates that games can or can't be scheduled, um, all of those types of things, the selection process and, and how that plays out, and then the facility blackouts that we talked about earlier mm -hmm. you know obviously we can't schedule a game in Mackey if there's something else going on that day so that's a requirement that we have to adhere to yeah we've been really lucky Principal with that because Mackey doesn't we don't do anything other than basketball Mackey so every time you guys said that uh, questionnaire out about the blackout dates uh, it's great because I don't do I don't, I don't have to do anything with it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's, it's different from place to place you know some places the the university owns the building, not the athletic department. You know, some places it could be a local, uh, a local decision, uh, you know, with the city as yeah. opposed to just being a campus decision. So, so yeah, it definitely, it definitely does vary from place to place, but you're right. Purdue, uh, in the three years I've been doing this, I, I haven't had any, any dates. I couldn't schedule a men's <laughs> or a women's game in there. So I appreciate that. Um, you know, but those principles that you talk about, we, I think, uh, every two or three years, We'll survey the coaches and say, all right, you know, as you look at the schedule, what are some of the things that, you know, you want us to take into consideration when we're putting this together? Um, and, and a lot of those priorities usually deal with days between games, like you said, uh, excessive road swings, excessive home uh, stands, balancing the number of midweek versus weekend home games, mm -hmm. um, balancing yeah. – to the extent that we can, the number of away games in the first half of the season versus the second half of the season. So those are those are all things that we, we talk about. The, the one that we've really tried to hit on, or, or I should say the two that we've really tried to hit on the last few years, um, is a minimum of two days rest in between games. Yeah. Um, you know, so if, if you play on a Saturday, you can't play again until Tuesday. Um, and, and we've been very successful that, with that. We have won this year. Um, uh, in the early December games, just based on the way that that uh, schedule, we had to work around final exams and existing non-conference games. So, um, you know, we hope to hit 100% every year, but this year we, we did have the one uh, in that week. And then the other one is, you know, no more than two consecutive away games, mm -hmm. um, just because, you know, A, at the root of this, we're dealing with, with students who have to attend class um, and, and have to, you know, work towards an education. And if we're putting them on the road for three games, that's going to be more than more than a week's time, and, and that's just not a conversation that we're ever willing to have. And so that that's an important priority. And then all the other principles, we try and fit as many of them into the schedule as possible, as long as they don't run into conflict with any of the requirements. Um, and, and we usually we usually find a pretty good balance. You know, it's as, as you can imagine when we send the schedule out to you on campus and then we release it to the public, everybody's looking at it through one singular lens. You know, your Purdue fans are, are looking at it through how, how does Purdue's schedule look? Right. Um, 
you know, a few, a few may look at, at what's happening down in Bloomington and what that schedule looks like too. And, and we understand that there's competitive, you know, juices in our fan bases everywhere. Yeah, but yeah. when we're putting together the schedule, we have, you know, a, a task of looking through 15 different lenses, one for each of our schools and then one for our network partners collectively. Yep. And so we have to make sure that we are balancing all of those sometimes competing interests in terms of, you know, priorities and process to put together as balanced and equitable a schedule um, as possible. And notice I didn't say equal there because we're never, in, in all the years that we do this or we've done this, we're, we're never going to, to hit an equal schedule but we try and be fair and equitable in, in the schedule that we put together. And, and the coach's feedback is a very important component of that. Yeah. You're a, you're never going to make everybody happy. Um, and, and if you try to do that, it's, it's probably ends up being counterproductive because uh, you've got across the board, you've got people that are, um, you know, you, you've got some people who don't like the nine o'clock tips. You've got some people who, as you mentioned, I think that's one component that people don't really think about is the balance of having home weekend and and uh, and weeknight games. You know, our fans are like anybody else. I mean, we always talk around here that there's nothing better than an afternoon game in, in Mackey on a Saturday. Um, it seems like we could play. Uh, we could play the three of us and and two people off the street. And we would get a sellout on that Saturday if it was a two o'clock tip in Mackey. That's just gold. And and you know some years it works out where you get three or four of those. Some years you you know you don't get as many. Uh, but the one thing that has changed over the years is um, you know it used to always be the the Saturday games, and now Saturdays, Sundays, um, occasionally Mondays. Although we don't have any this year, and then you know the Fridays that entered the picture with Fox a couple years ago. And I got to think that at least those different windows made it somewhat easier for you guys to be able to move games around and give you a little bit more of a, um, you know, more windows to air games. But as we look at our total package with all the uh, television partners that we have, and I'm glad to hear you say that we do have the most uh, out there in college basketball because we constantly tell recruits that, you know, Coach Painters, when he's sitting down with a family, he's like, look, we have the best media package in college basketball. You're basically going to see every game your son plays. Um, and from an exposure standpoint, we're second to none. It's great to kind of hear you echo those comments so we know we're at least telling recruits the truth. Um, but as we look at those, all those windows and everything, if I'm a Big Ten fan, I can go how many days straight and I'm always going to be able to see a game on TV. I think that's one of the coolest things we've done over the last couple of years. No, and, and that that's a, a really important component of this new media rights deal that we, we have right now, Elliot. As, as I mentioned earlier, we're entering our third year of it. And, and you hit on, you know, kind of the traditional Big Ten cadence back in the day of, you know, when Coach Katie was coaching, when it used to be Thursday nights and Saturday yeah. afternoons. Travel and, partners you know, the, and all that. Women, yeah, the travel partners, and, and it didn't matter. Uh, you know, Big Monday came along, and, and you started to get into Monday a little bit, uh, you know, in the 90s. But it, fans fans always knew exactly when, when a Big Ten game was going to be scheduled. You know, one of the benefits of our new partnership with these four networks is that we're able to schedule games on all seven days of the week. And certain, certain nights, you know, ha- have fallen into certain networks' hands, um, you know, some of it's contractual, some of it's just the way that the schedule falls. But, you know, we, we've got BPN's Wednesday night doubleheader, which always, 
you know, resonates across the footprint. And I can, you mentioned earlier, you know, a game that, that didn't necessarily on paper at the beginning of the season look like it was going to be a big game. Well, I can remember the Ohio State at Purdue game on the final Wednesday of the regular season two years ago that ended up being the, the most important game in the title race yeah, this year. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was just a, a very fortuitous night for BTN to, to have on that Wednesday doubleheader. Yeah. Um, you know, ESPN, like you said, has traditionally been in that Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday range for us. And, and uh, you know, this year, uh, you know, we're, we're still expecting that to be the, the same. And we'll have the times and the networks that will be announced in that week after Labor Day. Uh, you know, so we won't, won't really get into the, the, the specific, specifics of that right now. Um, CBS, traditionally on that Sunday, you know, a, a legacy date for us with them and, yep. and really – you know, some of the best viewership numbers that, that we see across all of college basketball in those windows. And then with FS1, you know, and Fox, we've been able to, to really carve out some of those other nights. Like you said, Mondays and Fridays, um, you know, Fox broadcast, uh, you know, has had games on, on Saturday the, the last two years. And then, you know, Thursday nights become a, a very good landing spot for FS1 too. And we actually, we met with our, our friends from Fox and BTN uh, about two weeks ago. And, and one of the, the notes that the Fox folks gave us, which really shows the power of the brand of Big Ten basketball, is that last year the Big Ten delivered six of FS1 seven most watched regular season college basketball games of all time. Wow. The number one overall, uh, which was Iowa, Michigan State at Iowa um, in, in January. And so I think that just shows that you know, even if other conferences have been with networks for longer, the, the Big Ten brand resonates, and, and our some of it's our, our 5.7 million living alumni. Right. Some of it is is like you said, just you know the, the fact that recruits and parents and, and others are, are really interested in watching. But but a lot of it is just you know you've got these these iconic programs playing in iconic venues, um, you know coaches that that tend to stick around for a long time and establish, you know, themselves within the, the community on campus. And so all of that really leads to, you know, I did the math a little bit this morning before the call. We are going to have 53 of 67 days between January 2nd and March 8th that we'll have a Big Ten basketball game that night. Wow. And if you take into account, if you take into account the Big Ten tournament the following week, it'll be 58 of 74 days with a game. <laughs> and, and that's just something that it allows – the narrative and it allows, you know, the media, the talent, um, you know, the studio shows to constantly be talking about Big Ten basketball because there's always something to talk about, something new, either yeah. the result it, from the previous night or the, the game the next night. Well, and I can remember. It's music to the ears of Big Ten fans. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, and I, I remember talking, you know, with uh, – one of one of your fine colleagues at Purdue and, and a former Patriot League colleague of mine, Chris Foreman, uh, you know, he remarked how you guys were on the road last year at some game on a Saturday, and you're sitting in your hotel on a Friday night watching a Big Ten game, and just that wasn't a phenomenon that had happened before. Yeah. And so just to be able to, you know, to constantly, you know, whether it's the the, the students on the team, whether it's the, the staff that's traveling, the coaches you're just able to absorb yourself in big 10 basketball throughout the year. And, and we're really proud of that. And we think it really helps elevate the brand of, of the sport within our conference. 
So before we get on to the final four, which is how we end all these podcasts, Carrie, we have four kind of off the beaten path questions. Um, before we get to that, one other question I wanted to get to, and I could talk about this stuff all day, but um, so as you have the inventory of games, you mentioned that you give uh, the networks, okay, here's everybody that's playing everybody. Um, so quickly run through kind of how that, um, how that selection starts. So, you know, how is it determined who's going to carry the IU Purdue game? How is it determined who's going to carry each of those different games? Um, kind of talk us through how that process works. So our fans kind of get an idea of why certain games end up on certain networks. Sure, absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned, we have 140 games, you know, a 20-game schedule uh, on the men's side. And so those 140 games, uh, when we send them out to the networks, they, you know, through whatever metrics and through whatever, you know, priorities they have, internally they are, you know, saying these are the games, you know, that we're interested in, you know. Uh, okay. And those are based on conversations with uh, whether it's our office conversations with the, the talent that they have within their respective, you know, staffs um, at Fox and ESPN and BTN and CBS. And we actually have a, a selection process that's contractual. And each year it, it changes who has the first pick, um, you know, out of, out of that group. Um, and there's a certain number of picks off the top and, and, you know, can't get into too much detail about the numbers, but um, where, ESPN, CBS, and Fox, and, and BTN to an extent um, will actually go and say, you know, with the first pick, I, I want <laughs> Indiana at Purdue. And with the second pick, I want this. And, and, and the, the selection numbers and processes is, is built into our contract. So there's no yeah. disagreement, uh, you know, from a year-over-year perspective. That is crazy. There, there, that, once it, we get to it. It's like the fantasy draft. Yeah, it's like, ahead, it's like all our fans sitting around doing their fantasy drafts here. Uh, with the start of the NFL season, it's it's the same, basically the same kind of concept. I mean, they're having a draft based on which games they feel are the most attractive to air on their network. Yes, yeah, at, at the root of it, that, that's a very good comparison, Elliot. Obviously, uh, a lot more data and uh, dollars involved. Right, um, <laughs> right. You know, but <laughs> but it's, it's an important decision for them. Um, and once, once we hit a certain number... Um, that's when the, the first phase of the draft stops and the networks then of the picks that they've selected. And it's, it's, um, you know, somewhere between, you know, 15 and 20, uh, for some of the networks, a little bit less for others. Um, they'll actually say, you know, of our priority selections, here are the dates that we have available for you to schedule these. Here's our preferences for where we'd like them scheduled. And, you know, here's any other, um, you know, components that go into that. Like, for example, um, you know, sometimes CBS or sometimes Fox have the Super Bowl. And so there are certain things around Super Bowl weekend that we have to take into account. Certain times there are games that are held off campus, um, you know, like our Super Saturday game in Madison Square Garden, which was announced last week, Rutgers versus Michigan, or Penn State playing Iowa in the Plester in Philadelphia. Um, you know, where certain games have to be on certain dates and have to be hardwired there. Um, but otherwise, we then take all of the information we've collected on the facility side, all the information in terms of preferences from the draft selection by our four network partners, 
and we work with a computer consultant to input all of that data into a, an algorithm. And that's when, in late June, we start to, um, you know, churn out a lot of those drafts that I'll go through and, and receive those, um, you know, sometimes daily, sometimes every other day, and, and just start to comb through them by hand to make sure that, that we're meeting all the requirements and, you know, taking into account as many of those principles from the coaching side that we can. And we work, you know, very diligently in our office, the, the members of the TV administration team over that, that six-week period or so. Um, and by August 1st, we have to actually have a schedule with games on dates that we consider final within our office. We send to our network partners, and then the network partners complete the draft of their contractual games based on the, the games being on the dates that we scheduled them. Um, gotcha. So it, it may be a situation where, you know, uh, somebody has a window on a Thursday, it may not be the game that they wanted, you know, based on their research that they did, but having a game on that date with a Big Ten team is more important than not having a game. So right. they'll select yeah. that game. Yeah. Um, and, and so that that's when you got the schedule last week and when we released it on Friday to the public, that is the kind of the end result of that six to eight week process that involved all of the, the draft, the selections, the maneuvering by hand, you know, all of the, the contractual obligations that we have, and, and that's how we get to the finished product. Gotcha. Um, you know, and, and to get into a lot more detail and, and wish that I could. <laughs> yeah. I think you could talk for days on that. Aspects. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But then the final, the final point, Elliot, and, and this is, you know, you mentioned at the, the very top of our conversation, uh, start times. Um, you know, that that's become a very important part of the process as well because playing seven days a week, obviously there are going to be some stretches where you want to make sure that you're balancing, you know, the, the time away from campus, um, balancing the number of, of late starts for midweek home games. And we actually have some contractual, um, you know, boundaries around those where, where there's a limit of the number of games that start after 8 p.m. local on a weekday in a given year. And we were we were very proud of the fact that we could include that um, in our contracts uh, when we agreed to them two years ago because we wanted to lessen the burden on those 9 p.m. starts yeah. uh, and even 8.30 p.m. starts for our Eastern time zone schools. Yeah, I think our um, fans are our other things, fans are probably great are probably uh, very excited to hear to hear that little piece of it. No, and there, there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, from a start time perspective, we, we try to balance. Um, you know, obviously in early January, there's still some schools that are not in session. And so we try and, uh, you know, to the extent that it's possible, schedule longer road trips during that time frame. Um, you know, we, we try and keep those those end of the footprint to end of the footprint trips, um, you know, like involving Rutgers in Nebraska to the weekend if we can, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes the, the way the TV partners selected those games prevent us from doing that. But we, we try and try and accomplish that if we can. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, the important thing to note for the fans is that the start times contractually are determined by our network partners. So we can obviously, you know, give them our input to say it would work a little bit better if this game were early and this game were late. Um, you know, like, for example, Maryland being in a major metropolitan area, early weekday start times are tough for them uh, logistically, right. parking, traffic. And, and so that 
doesn't help the in arena feel from an attendance perspective. And so we try and work to to make sure that we limit those. And and we collect all that feedback from our schools to to hear what works and what doesn't work to our network partners. But at the end of the day, um, they have the ability to set whatever start times that, that they feel works best for their overall programming schedule. It's funny you say that because we played at Maryland at six o'clock. Boy, if it wasn't last year, it was the year before. And I remember we were really excited because we thought, boy, you know, that building's going to be empty to start because they're all going to be stuck in traffic getting to the build, getting to the arena. And sure enough, that game tipped, and there were very few people in the stands. Now, by the second half, it was full. And uh, I can't remember if we won or lost that game. But, uh, yeah, that's that's it's it's interesting to hear that that stuff is taken into account because those are the kind of things that we look at when we sit there and analyze the schedule when it comes out. And... Uh, you know, Larry, you've been doing it longer than we have. Um, do, do the different start times bother you at all? Does the different days of the week? I mean, was there ever a time you thought you'd see Friday night Big Ten games or, you know, different nights or Sunday Big Ten games for that matter? No, I never thought we'd see what we've gotten. There's no question about that. But um, but it doesn't bother me anymore, and I doubt that anybody else who works these games regularly. It would bother um, – the only thing is you you kind of look at it from your own bias and think well geez we're not getting breaks here or we're right playing too many people in a row or hey how come we're getting them the second time in three days you know it doesn't make any sense but when it's all said and done and they're all played it really doesn't matter does it i don't think so i mean at the end of the day i think the well, last year's last year's ending for us was incredible and was the best I've ever seen in in the NCAA for our club and and we've been in some big games so um, so I don't know if it's that big of a deal but well, it we- has to be a big deal for the conference because they have so you know having uh, twenty teams is just that's just ridiculous when you go 20 games per team or you know for as carrie mentioned all those games i just i don't know how you make it all work and then you know you know the thing that we hit on today that i don't think people realize are the facility blockout dates are the um the different parameters that uh, you have to work in with you know no more than three straight row games and that kind of thing not to mention the fact that you have to mirror that schedule against the women's basketball schedule and obviously, Purdue can't have a home game, you know, with the same night that our women are playing at home. And the fact, that you, what? the fact that you try to make that all work and keep all the TV people happy, it's just, it's quite a process. So. And, throw, and throw, uh, throw in the weather problems. <laughs> right, which we faced so, some last yeah. year. Yeah. yeah, knock knock on wood, Larry, that that we don't have to deal with too many of those. We had a few on the women's side last year where we had games had to be rescheduled, but that's uh, that's always the the most uh, you know uh, the phone call I'm least looking forward to during the season is is seeing either an athletic director or a, a sport administrator's name pop up uh, when there's weather in their area because I know what that conversation is going to be and, and it's never an easy one to have. Yeah, we called you last year at Nebraska. We're sitting there the night before the game. Uh, basically, a blizzard was forecasted for the next day coming through Lincoln, and I think we were going to tip it uh, maybe four, and uh, mm-hmm. and I think Coach Miles called Coach Painter at first. We were having dinner at the hotel, 
And uh, he calls and he says, hey, we'd like to move the game up. What are your thoughts? And, uh, and I can say this about Coach Painter. He is the most laid back dude uh, in these situations uh, that I can imagine. Um, and he just said, I don't care. Whatever you guys want to do, we're good with. And he said, oh, okay, well, we, we got to call the Big Ten. We got to check with TV. We got to make sure everybody's, you know, so we just kind of manned the phones. And then later that night, it was, you know, okay, we found you guys were able to find a window to move it up. And I, I don't know if it was BTN or I think it was BTN agreed. And, and they moved the game yep. up. We ended up tipping, I think, four hours earlier, three hours earlier. And uh, it was amazing to me that we were able to pull that off. But, uh, but yeah, those are some of those weather things that you'd never planned for. So. Okay, so Carrie uh, Kenny, our guest here uh, on the Boilerball podcast, and we've reached that time where we're going to get into the Final Four. Carrie, I hope you're not too nervous about this. Um, riveting, qu- riveting questions that we pose to all of our guests. First question here on the Final Four is, what is your go-to music of choice? Go-to music, and, and I've been fortunate to see him twice in concert over the past few years, which is an unbelievable live show, and that would be uh, Mumford & Sons. Uh, just okay. love, love the energy, love love the uh, you know, kind of the alternative uh, instruments that they use, and just uh, it always, always puts me in a good mood when I hear their music, so I'd have to go with them. I've not seen them live, but I've seen of uh, I've watched some YouTube um, concerts, of, and uh, and I've seen some uh, postings of uh, you know, Instagram shots from people at uh, at their shows, and they do look really cool. Look like they're like everybody there is really having a good time. So um, that's very cool. Where did you see them uh, perform? Uh, I saw them. Uh, they do this this tour called the Gentlemen of the Road Tour, where they uh, they'll go to small nondescript areas, you know, either domestically or abroad. Um, and they'll just take over a town for a weekend. They'll have a campsite. Uh, they'll have like four or five other bands that are performing with them. Uh, fortunately, I didn't have to stay in the campsite because it's the place where, where I saw them, <laughs> Troy, Ohio. Oh, my. Uh, my, my. Yeah, my wife's best friend from college is from Troy, so we had a place to stay. Um, but we, we saw them in a high school football stadium uh, in Troy, Ohio, which is about as Americana as you can imagine. Wow. Um, and then uh, this past year, uh, actually, it was a few weeks before you guys had some success there at the Hartford Excel Center. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so so I got to see him there uh, for a night, which is great. So how, that, how, that I, would uh, highly recommend it to any of your listeners if, if they have an opportunity to see them. I can't believe I'm just hearing about – I've never heard of that where they take the town over. That is really cool, and I can't – I'm kind of ashamed that I haven't, haven't heard of that before. But that, that is a really, really cool deal. I did not know they did that. Well, if they ever come to Lafayette, if they ever come to Lafayette, (laughs) I got a basement you can crash in. So I appreciate that. There we go. Okay. uh, Question two here on the final four is what is your favorite book or maybe a good book you've read recently? Favorite book is, uh, you know, team of rivals, uh, by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Yeah. Um, and for, for those who who may not know about it, it, it's, uh, chronicles Abraham Lincoln, his his election, his presidency, and and talks about how a lot of his uh, political maneuvering and, and success during the the Civil War was based on the fact that he surrounded himself with people who had competing 
uh, viewpoints with him um, and, and people even who he, he ran against in the election. Um, and, and so it's just a really great case study on, you know, uh, just how you assemble a team and, and how, um, you know, you're able to, to attack different issues and, and problems with, uh, you know, a very broad and diverse uh, list of voices around the table. And, and for me, it comes from, I, I was the son of, of two educators. My mom was a first grade teacher for uh, for 40 years. My dad was a, a high school social studies teacher and a, and a coach for 40 years. So uh, history has always been something that, uh, you know, that, that's fallen into my wheelhouse and, and I've always been interested in. Uh, and, and that book, uh, you know, really hits the nail on the head for me and, and just Abraham Lincoln in general uh, is a favorite of mine. So very cool. Um, I have to say that one. And then, and then from a, a college sports perspective, and this, it actually works well with, with both history and our conversation today. Um, a book called The 50-Year Seduction uh, by Keith Donovan, and it's a history of how um, college football and television kind of helped each other become what they are today through the years. Oh, wow. And it's just a really great, yeah, really great history lesson for any college sports fan, um, you know, basically about why we are where we are um, on the television and the college football side of things. So would recommend that one as well. That book sounds like it was written for you. I mean, that's right up right up your alley in what you do. Um, the, the Team of Rivals book I have on my bookshelf at home, that is a great book. And uh, Cliz and I are big fans of history, as our listeners are well aware. And uh, anytime somebody can come on and talk about a history book, we're that's uh, music to our ears. So that's a very good answer. Uh, right. Question three here on the final four. If uh, you could wave a wand and do any other profession tomorrow, what would it be? Oh, well, you know, I, I could give you the cliche answer of, uh, you know, I I love the job I'm doing and, and I'm hopeful that that would be what I'm still doing tomorrow. But yeah, don't do that. Don't I do have, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, I, I've always, I've always wanted to open uh, either a, a sports bar or a coffee shop, like in a beach town when I'm retired. Really? Um, you know, so yeah, just, that's pretty I, cool. I just like talking to what's that. That's pretty cool. I dig that. Larry, what yeah, do you, what I'm do you think? Always... Run a bar in a beach town. I think that's pretty cool. Larry's kind of in a beach town in Melbourne, Florida. So he, uh, he, uh, he might, yeah, be, we got to, yeah, you might be able to give you some location options there. There are a lot of locations down here, but the uh, we have a guy that uh, started a bar, a Purdue bar down here, uh, about a year ago, and it's starting to really build. And uh, so I'm looking forward to tomorrow night and going over to watch the game for a while before I have to leave. But yeah, uh, uh, but that's. Uh, that's kind of cool too. So how long so, have you, how long have you had this this uh, this thought, Kerry? Uh, you know, it, it's kind of gone into and out of my consciousness over over the past few years. But I just the concept of, of staying attached to sports in, in some way, even once I'm retired, and and you know, I've I've been to enough beach towns in my life where you know people just have a, a happy, positive attitude about them when they're on vacation. So what better way to you know, to still interact with people and, and the, the thing that I love, which is sports, then, uh, you know, marrying those two things together in a, 
in a way that uh, keeps people fed and and you know without thirst and happy. So that's, uh, that's kind of the way that I've uh, good idea. Tried yeah. to take forward. <laughs> that is one of the coolest answers we've had of that question. So most people, the most popular answer is people say a PGA golfer. Um, that is far. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's far and away the most popular answer. But yours, I really like yours, and we we really like the answers that are a little bit kind of off the beaten path. And that that's a great answer. So um, very well done. Final question here Thank on the you. final four, and this is what is uh, something that either no one or not many people know about you. Oh. Um. You know, I'll keep it to sports um, and my background, but when I was in college, um, you know, I mentioned I played basketball, um, was also the, the sports beat reporter for my school paper, um, but my, I guess my claim to fame, if there is one, would be that uh, when I finished at Lafayette, um, it aligned with me being the president of a group called the Division One National Student Athlete Advisory Committee. Um, where I had the opportunity to, um, you know, serve as the representative voice for all 160,000 at the time Division One student athletes on anything from, you know, policy issues to, you know, should text messaging be a part of the recruiting process? Um, and interestingly enough, for your Purdue fans, um, I was one of two student athlete representatives on the group called the men's basketball issues committee that, that kind of looked at all the off the court issues in men's basketball and the other student athlete representative on that committee was Robbie Hummel. Oh, cool. Um, so I, yeah, struck up a, a nice friendship with Robbie and, and we've kept in touch over the years. And now that he's doing a lot of our games for, for BTN and ESPN, it, it's been nice to be able to, you know, kind of reminisce with him whenever I see him at a media day or, or at one of our games. So, um, yeah, that, that's the little-known fact, and I, I call it the best unpaid internship I ever had, uh, just being able to, to work through that process for a couple of years. That's cool. I wonder what ever happened to Hummel. I don't know. I don't know what happened to that guy. <laughs> Actually, he just he yeah, texted me the other day. So our team just ran the mile for time, and they have certain times they have to make, and we just uh, we just ran it the other day. And we put some of the highlights of it on social media. And so Rob texts me, I got this text, he's overseas playing in this three-on-three tournament, and he says, hey, saw you guys ran the mile, I just got to ask, is my record still intact? Because he has the, the record since Coach Painter's been here for the fastest mile time uh, with Purdue basketball, and he wanted to make sure, and I, I told him, I said, yes, your, your, your mile time is still intact, so I think he slept a little easier that night, but he was somewhere over in the Italian Alps, just just slumming it over there playing three on three basketball and seeing beautiful parts of the world so funny that you no brought, uh, well, brought that's his a, name for, for a six eight guy to, to hold the record in the mile that that's pretty impressive very uh, impressive you know, so kudos to Robbie for, for holding on. yeah very impressive so it's timely that you uh that you would would mention his name so well, Kara, I want to I want to thank you for coming on. It's been great. I think it's been very insightful. Um, and I think our fans who are uh, not only um, Purdue basketball diehards, but also big fans of the league and of Big Ten basketball, I think it's great to be able for them to get a little insight of kind of how this schedule, which was just released recently, uh, kind of how it all comes together. And I think um, maybe when they start seeing some of these schedules come out year after year and the different times and networks, I think it's probably good that they have a little 
greater appreciation for how it how it all gets pulled together by you and the Big Ten and, and by our TV partners. So thanks a lot for taking time to explain it all. No, thank you for inviting me on, Elliot. It, it's been great to, to chat with you and Larry this morning. Um, I know that you and I will we'll talk a lot more in the coming weeks leading up to the season about future non-conference games like we talked about earlier. But uh, Larry, wish you uh, nothing but uh, you know a healthy upcoming season and, and look forward to seeing both of you guys. Uh, I'll be in Mackey for the, the ACC Challenge game against Virginia, so look forward to seeing you both that night. That should be some type of game. I, uh, I'm just thinking, I go back to that, uh, what do you think, Elliot, that Duke game that we played? Uh, with uh, with the with the young club that we had, yeah, the ACC Challenge game then. Yeah, I think it was two thousand two, maybe. Yeah, somewhere yeah. Uh, it might not have been that early, but it was uh, it was a while ago. Robin, those guys were sophomores, so it would have been whenever year they were were sophomores. We've been doing this a long time now, so it's all running together. But yeah, it was their sophomore yeah. year. <laughs> and and now you have this. Uh, I think Virginia and Purdue started a rivalry last year, but I don't know if they can end it. Yeah, that might be. You know, we have two good young coaches, uh, two programs on the rise, defending national champs in Mackey. We may have something here. We may need to try to look at uh, these two teams hooking up more often. So maybe we'll answer that after this game's over and figure out if we want to do that or not. All right. Well, thanks, Kerry. And uh, that was episode 58 here on the Boiler Ball podcast. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. As always, you can drop us questions at our email address, boilerballpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. Mm-hmm.